When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome back to the American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 71. Coming to you tonight, Zach Faldor here, joined as always by my co host, Steve Helwick. Steve, it's hard to believe it, but we are on to the next to last week of the regular season here in college football. We're really winding down. Uh, it's crazy how fast this season has gone. It's been a good one, though. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, we have two more weeks of midweek action. We have five games this week on this Tuesday. and Last, the first two weeks really lived up to the potential. We had a ton of shootouts. So many teams have already broken 50 points. We've had some just eye-numbing eye records that have been set, program records, season records, like Trayvon Rudolph did a couple weeks ago, some of the stuff Jack Sorensen and Khalil Pimpleton and Lou Nichols have been doing. So many great performances out there. So midweek action has definitely delivered this year, especially for those who love offense. Yeah, it has absolutely lived up to the hype. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so let's get right into it, Steve. You, as you mentioned, there has been some some crazy MAC games these last two weeks, some crazy offensive numbers that have been put up, a lot of historically great performances that I've seen. So it can be hard. It's hard to pick one here as far as best performance of the week, but last week. But if you had to narrow it down, uh, who, who would you go with here? I'm going to go with Miami Redhawks quarterback Brett Gabbert. He dealt with injuries last year, which kept him out of some Miami's three games. And he's dealt with injuries this year, which kept him out of the opener and a couple other games this year for the Red Hawks. So now Gabbard is the healthiest he's been in the last two weeks has shown for it. He had that 492 yard five touchdown performance against Ohio, where he almost brought the Red Hawks back down 28 to zero. But this week, Miami didn't have a slow start at all, and Gabbert was able to captain the Red Hawks to their most dominant victory all year, dismantling Buffalo 45-18 to with a season-high 45 points on the board for the Red Hawks. Gabbert completed 75% of his passes, 351 yards, four touchdowns, and he just connected with his receivers. Miami has such a good, deep receiving core. You have Jack Sorensen in there. Jalen Walker stepped up in the last two weeks, shattering a season-high two weeks in a row. Then Matt Kippenhammer, the tight ends, have also provided good support. So Gavert's my my offensive performance of the week this week, but I can't go without giving a shout-out to Jack Sorensen, whose streak of 110-yard games is now at five, and he has sixth in the country in receiving yards. Yeah, I tell you what, Steve, this uh, it, these last two weeks, it feels like we've really been reminded about the greatness of Brett Gabber or the potential greatness of Brett Gabber, right? I mean, we only got to see, we barely got to see him at all last year and we played in one game. And as you mentioned, dealt with a lot of injuries here at the beginning of this season, never really has gotten to 100%. The chemistry though, between him and, uh, and Jack Sorensen, just off the charts. Good. They are becoming one of my favorite duos to watch in the conference quickly becoming one of my favorite, favorite duos to watch in the conference. Uh, so yeah, definitely a great choice there with Brett Gabbert. 
for my performance of the week here, Steve, uh, I know it's a guy we talked about last week. We've been talking about him a lot here over the last month, but Lou Nichols just continues to amaze me every mm-hmm. single week. I mean, 43 carries, 215 yards last week's uh, career highs, four touchdowns for, uh, for, for Lou in the, uh, in the Chippewas victory over Kent State. That last touchdown he scored, we trucked that guy to goal. I mean, oh, that was unbelievable. He just, just, I mean, the level he's been playing at here over the last month is just unmatched. I mean, you look at his last four games here, last five games, I should say, he's over 100 yards in all of them, and only one of those is under 150 when he had 29 for 136 against Toledo. Other than that, I mean, 186, 192, 163, and then 215 here uh, on on uh, last Tuesday against, or excuse me, last Wednesday against Kent State. Uh, Steve, all year, or at least for the first you know month or so, first half of the season, we were talking about how this Kent State passing attack was so potent; it was really carrying the offense, and they're still very good. But man, this last you know five weeks or so, Lou Nichols, I mean, has just taken it to another level, and it's not uh, a coincidence to me that that coincides with the Chippewas playing some of their best football of the season. Yeah, Central Michigan right now, they're really building something special in Mount Pleasant. It seems like their offense is finally clicking. You saw Khalil Pimpleton deliver an individual performance for the ages against Western Michigan, and the Chippewas were able to put up 42 that game. And then last week they put up 54 points, their first 50 burger since 2017 with Lou Nichols just running the offense. I mean, he had over 40 carries in that game. Central Michigan got enough turnovers on defense, enough stops on that Kent State offense. And the Chippewas' offense just rolled in that place. Uh, Daniel Richardson has a great deep ball. He has a slew of very good receivers. When you have Pimpleton there, Ja'Cory Sullivan, Dallas Dixon, Joel Wilson has really stepped up from the tight end position recently. So Central Michigan's offense just looks loaded right now. And Lou Nichols is the captain of that ship. I mean, Central Michigan's had a lot of good running back play in the past few years. But when you have a running back that – has the stamina to get 40 carries in a game and turn that into 200 over 200 yards and four touchdowns, your offense is in great shape. So you got to give props for Lou Nichols, especially stepping up for Kobe Lewis, who had a preseason injury, which took him out of the season. Yeah, absolutely. That was, you know, obviously a very significant injury for, for the Chippewas at the time. And uh, Kobe Lewis still missed, but the, the, the way that uh, Lou Nichols has really stepped up into his place. Very, very impressive here. Uh, and, and you love to see it if you're a Chippewas fan. Uh, on the flip side here, Steve, we had some teams here that uh, kind of laid eggs this past week, didn't really show up to the level we thought they might or thought what they might have been able to do. Uh, who are you looking at in terms of your underwhelming performance of the week? Well, they already addressed it by firing their defensive coordinator, Tom Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. So Kent State, Golden Flashes. I mean, you want – Kent State, I've been waiting all year. You've shown you've shown flashes of potential of being the best team in the MAC, but when's it going to come to fruition? The defense just isn't good enough, I guess, for this yeah. team to be a MAC front runner. I mean, they they looked like they 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 looked like they fit the part against NIU. They looked like they might have fit the part against Buffalo, but other than that, if you look at their resume this year, I mean, Kent State they they really haven't put away. They didn't put away Bowling Green. They didn't put away Ohio. They lost by 33 to Western Michigan. I'm starting to get a little more concerned about how good this Kent State team really is. And it starts a lot of it on defense. Usually Kent State is winning the turnover battle, forcing those opportune turnovers. They entered the Central Michigan game first in the country in turnover margin. But what happens when those bounces aren't going your way? You can't get stops. The way Kent State's defense gets stops is forcing turnovers. 
So when those aren't happening, other teams are just running past them. In the previous week, you saw Rocky Lombardi put up the best passing performance on an NIU history on that defense. And this past week, Lou Nichols just runs free on them. So it's the passing and the running defense are both problems for Kent State, and they really need to fix these issues. They have that game looming against Miami, Ohio soon. I mean, Brett Gabbert right now is throwing for 400 yards each time he goes out there. So Kent State really needs to figure things out before that game if they want to take their best Mac East title hopes they've had in years, if they want to take that and turn it into something tangible. Yeah, Steve, I I completely agree with you, man. I mean, this this defense that – Showed some promise to start the year. As you mentioned, they, they they were creating a lot of turnovers. They still create a lot of turnovers, but that's not a sustainable formula for s- sustained good defense. You know, I was looking uh, after the, the Kent State Central Michigan game ended last week. I was looking at the drive chart in that game. So Kent State's defense, they got punts. They forced punts on the first two drives of that game. They looked really good. But then after those first two possessions for Central Michigan, I'm going to read the rest of the drives that they had that game for you here. I'm just going to we'll just read the results of them. So after those first two punts, it goes touchdown, 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 punt, touchdown. I mean, literally every single drive until the fourth quarter after those first two punts, Central Michigan scored a touchdown. I mean, if you can't get draw or if you can't get stops, you're not going to win football games. I don't care how good your offense is. And uh, I'm, I'm with you, Steve. I mean, all year I've been pretty adamant that I felt like Kent State was one of the, you know, two, three best teams in the MAC, And offensively, they're right there. But, man, this defense is just so bad that I don't know. I mean, I think right now, you know, if I had to pick that Miami-Kent State game, I would probably pick Miami right now unless Kent State can show me something this week. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting uh, – that's going to be an interesting game there in two weeks, uh, especially if it's to decide the East Division crown. So I'm with you. Very disappointed by Kent State's defense. I'm going to go, though, for me, Steve, my, my disappointing performance of the week. And also just, I mean, just over the last couple of weeks here in general, Buffalo is just seems like they're in a bad place right now. The Bulls, you know, that when was the last time you saw Buffalo get blown out by 27 points in a Mac game? I can't remember the last time. I'm sure we could look and find that information, but it hasn't happened in the last five years, I don't think. And I remember uh, you know, that year that they won the Mac East in 2018. There was a midweek game where they came out against Ohio and they lost 52 to 17. They just got okay. blown out from the get go in that game. So yeah. that's one that I can remember off the top of my head, but your point being taken, it doesn't happen often. And I, I know Lance Lightbolt isn't there anymore. It's a new squad there. They don't have Jarrett Patterson anymore, but yeah, that was a rough performance against Miami. And, and I just, you know, we have, we have the thing, you know, every week we talk about has the, did the offensive line give up a sack? Well, they gave up two more sacks this week after six last week. I mean, that's eight sacks in two weeks. This offensive line has given up. I don't think they gave up eight sacks in the last three seasons combined, Steve. And, and all of a sudden, you know, this offensive line just isn't playing well. You know, you think about Buffalo as a power running team that's really going to establish the run and pound the ball. They had 38 carries for 119 yards in this game, only 3.1 yards per rush. Uh, you know, Kyle Van Trees completed barely 50% of his passes. Matt Myers looked a little bit better, but still, I mean, at that point, you know, the, the game was already out of hand. I just, you know, these last two weeks from Buffalo, this game, and then, you know, that Bowling Green game a few weeks ago, just been very discouraging performances for me. And I know, obviously, they have the whole new coaching staff, and Mo Linguist was really behind the eight ball because he got hired so late in the offseason there. They lost a ton of people to the transfer portal. But, you know, the beginning of the season, there was some good signs. You saw some good things from this team. And this last couple of weeks, you just haven't seen much that I've liked. 
Yeah, and all those new transfers, they're they're out there beating the Texas Longhorns in Austin now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Congrats to Lance Lightbold on that one. That that was a heck of a game. 57 that to 56. Was, yeah, what a game that was. I loved his I love his quote in the post-game interview where uh, she asked him what the what he thought, and he said, "You know, I don't really have an answer prepared. They told me not to prepare for many, you know, victory interviews here." <laughs> so lo- I love that line from Coach Lightfoot. But yeah, awesome to see him get a big win uh, over the Texans of uh, the Longhorns in Austin. An impressive win there for the Jayhawks in his first year. Steve, let's move into our uh, our previews of this week's games. Uh, I just say, you know, week three of the midweek match, and here we do have one Saturday game this week with uh, Penn State and Akron. Uh, taking place on Saturday afternoon for the Battle of the Wagon Wheel. We'll get to that game here in a couple minutes. But let's start with our Tuesday games here this week, Steve. Uh, First matchup, we got Ohio traveling uh, across the state, going up to Toledo to take on the Rockets. I'm sorry, vice versa. Rockets traveling down to Athens to take on the Bobcats. Excuse me. Uh, Ohio, a seven-point home uh, underdog in this one. Uh, The total set at 54. This one kicks at Tuesday uh, on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Steve, i got to be honest with you. This, this line surprises me a little bit. I felt like Ohio gave us our best performance of the, of the year this past week, knocking off uh, Eastern Michigan on the road in Ypsilanti. A really, really nice game uh, from, from the Bobcats, especially defensively. They really uh, did well to kind of corral that Eastern Michigan offense. And then, uh, you know, Toledo, on the other hand, they got their dominant win over uh, Bowling Green, Battle of I-75 last week. Outcame the Falcons 539 to 196. Really nice performance from uh, from Toledo in that one as well. So we've got two teams coming off a nice performances here. Ohio, again, a, a touchdown underdog at home. Uh, what do you think about this one? Well, we've learned that Ohio can compete with any team in the MAC now. And this is a new Ohio team than it was three weeks ago. The, the Bobcats look really good under Curtis Rourke. He's throwing the ball as well as ever. How did he get 230 yards on just nine completions? Yeah. I mean, that, that checks out to tw- over 25 yards per completion for Curtis Rourke. So he was slinging it last week. Isaiah Cox's return has continued to do great things for the Bobcats. And they're just getting big plays now. Demontre Tuggles had a couple big touchdown receptions in the last few weeks. So is Isaiah Cox. Cameron Odom had a 66-yard reception for a touchdown last week. So Ohio is just creating big plays. And then you're seeing more of Nathan Rourke and in Curtis Rourke now. You're seeing him get a little mobile with the ball. He had a 35-yard run last week, a second straight week with a 30-yard run, and that's opening up things for the Ohio offense. Demontre Tuggles just doing his job of power running on the ground like he usually does. And Ohio Bobcats look like the Frank Solich Ohio Bobcats again. Except it's funny because the Frank Solich Ohio Bobcats would always be contenders. And then in November, usually there'd be just one alarming loss that would set the team back. This year, the team's finally figuring out things in November. So Ohio's playing good football right now. And there's a lot of good football also on the defensive side that I've seen. Uh, They had Alvin Floyd last week had a really great game with six solo tackles, 12 overall. And the Bobcats were able to stop the Eastern Michigan run game. And on the other side of this, you have Toledo, which finally found a quarterback, Daquan Finn. There's a lot of Mac players that I keep saying get better every week. Zach Gibson's one for a quarterback, Daquan Finn, Curtis Rourke, uh, Brett Gabbard even. There's a lot of Mac quarterbacks right now that are improving, and it's creating a lot of fun football for the conference. But Daquan Finn had that 460-yard passing game against Eastern Michigan. Follows it up with not as 
gouty passing numbers against Bowling Green, just 270 yards and three touchdowns, but he kept things really efficient and had two nice rushing touchdowns in the battle of I-75. And Toledo's offense finally looks like a Jason Candle offense should. And Brian Kobach's running the football really well at the moment. So I think this is going to be a pretty close game between two offenses that score well. I'm going to say it goes into the 30s, though. That's what I'm going to – that's what I feel like. I, I, I don't know. I can't predict an Ohio Bobcats game right now because I, I've picked against them the last two weeks. They've lost both those games. And Toledo, they're usually a good defense. We didn't quite see that against Eastern Michigan, so I don't know what to gauge of the unit right now. They looked great against Bowling Green with five sacks, 12 tackles for loss, and the Falcons weren't able to get anything on them. But I just don't know how I feel about Toledo's defense against this Ohio team that's finally getting explosive plays under under its wing. So I'm going to say Toledo wins probably by about five points in this game. Yeah, that feels right uh, to me. I, you know, this uh, I, I agree. Ohio is is a team. It's I, it's interesting. I didn't think about what your point. You're you're exactly right though. It's kind of the inverse of what we got to used to with Ohio under Frank Solich where they'd start strong and lose it, you know, a game or two down the stretch. It feels like this Ohio team is really, really figuring things out here uh, over these last few weeks. And I think, you know, the momentum of what they've generated over these last two weeks, I think is what will help them out here also being at home. But I mean, this Toledo defense, as you mentioned, um, you know, great, great performance against Bowling Green last week. I mean, this Bowling Green team that was coming off a 56-point performance against Buffalo two weeks ago, Matt McDonald goes 11 for 20 for 65. I mean, they had 67 yards of uh, a passing offense in this game. Not much better on the ground, only 129 yards on the ground, 3.2 yards per carry. I mean, this Toledo defense is – is re- I mean, they this is the best defense in the MAC right here. I mean, uh, first in total defense, first in passing defense, first in points per game. I mean, I really like this Toledo defense, but I also really like what I'm seeing from Ohio offensively right now. As you mentioned, you know, Curtis Schwartz, uh, you know, 230 yards last week on only nine completions. And, you know, even the week before that against Eastern Michigan – or I'm sorry, against uh, Miami, you know, 289 yards, three touchdowns, 23 to 32 in that game. He's, he's uh, been playing well. Isaiah Cox, as you mentioned, really coming into his own these last three weeks. You know, he missed a couple games to start the year. Wasn't fully healthy, I think, probably in the few weeks after that. So I really like what I see from this Ohio offense. And I think that uh, this Toledo offense, likewise, had gave us their best performance of the season last week, you know. So I think with, with Brian Kobach and Daquan Finn uh, for Toledo and then, you know, Curtis Schwartz, see what Armani Rogers, how much work he gets. And then, you know, with Demontre Tuggle and O'Shawn Allison continuing to split the ball well and, you know, perform well in the backfield. I agree with you, Steve. I think I see a lot of points in this game. I think I do. I think seven points is too much, especially the way Ohio's playing, having them, you know, having home field advantage in this one. I think I, 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 I might pick Ohio to win this game. I can't lie. I think it's going to be a close one, a field goal either way. Uh, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. But again, this one kicks uh, Tuesday at uh, uh, seven o'clock uh, from Peden Field in Athens. This one on ESPN Plus. Uh, tomorrow night at 730, uh, Tuesday evening, Western Michigan travels to Ypsilanti to take on Eastern Michigan. Five point, uh, the Eagles five and a half point home underdogs in this one. The total set at 66. Uh, this is another one here where the, 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 the line there surprises me a little bit, Steve. I mean, even in the win over Akron last week, you know, not a great performance from Western Michigan. The run game looked really good. Average seven yards a carry, 300 yards, three touchdowns on the ground, but still weren't just never able to put Akron away, let them hang around that whole game. 
Eastern Michigan with a kind of a forgettable, forgettable performance as well, losing 34-26 at home to Ohio. Uh, you know, the lack of uh, balance on offense, I think, is kind of hurting the Eagles there. Ben Bryant threw 57 passes last week, only ran the ball 26 times for 98 yards. So the, the run game leaving a lot to be desired for the Eagles. So, Steve, two teams here coming off of uh, – I mean, obviously, West, obviously, Western Michigan still got the win. They just haven't looked great these last couple weeks, though. Eastern Michigan coming off a disappointing loss last week. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? It's funny because I'm saying it with a lot of games. This one is definitely shootout form. Yeah. Neither of these teams have been defending well recently. And these Ben Bryant's just been letting it fly. He's getting 350 yards almost every single time he takes the field. Eastern Michigan's a very passing team. Yeah, he's had 354, 354, 286, and 331 in his last four games. So that's what Eastern Michigan's doing right now, and they're getting a lot of 50 burgers on the board. Western Michigan has been high scoring as well. They had 45 against Akron last week, but their defense also gave up 40. So I think when you see the recent trends of both of these offenses and defenses, I think this one's bound where both teams are going to hit 40. To pick a winner, I, I, don't, I can't get a good read on Western Michigan. I mean, I've, I've said this about several MAC teams, but Western Michigan is certainly not playing to their full potential right now. This is not the team that beat Kent State 64-31. to 31. They, they had every opportunity to put Akron away, it felt like, and they didn't. They were up 38-24 to 24 in the fourth quarter, and Akron suddenly takes the lead with 16 unanswered points. Yeah. And Western Michigan has to have Caleb Ellaby sling at 45 yards, perfectly placed ball to Corey Crooms in the end zone over two defenders to win the game for Western Michigan. But the Broncos can't afford to play teams that close. They did that against Akron. I know Akron looks much improved the last two weeks, but still, I, I, against Akron's defense, you should be you should be able to score at will on almost every single possession. And Western Michigan did a good job of grounding it early. They weren't even passing the ball very much in the game. All three halfbacks had pretty stellar performances, I'd say. Sean Tyler, Ladarius Jefferson, Jackson Kincaid. But I definitely needed to see more out of the passing offense. Caleb Ellaby hasn't looked like the beginning of the year Caleb Ellaby in the last few weeks, and he needs to get back into that. He's thrown two interceptions the last two weeks after only throwing two in his first eight games. So Ellaby has not has got a little out of his rhythm from early in the season. It felt like that Toledo game kind of got him out of that rhythm. So Western Michigan is kind of a random number generator at this point where I don't know what to expect of them. And on the other hand, Eastern Michigan, they love one possession games. They've been involved in more one possession games than any other team in the FBS since 2016, I believe. And this one's also going to be a one score game. And it's going to come down to some of the final possessions. But if I had to pick someone to emerge on top, I think I'd just go Western Michigan because I think they have more talent, more firepower. And when both teams are playing at their top potential, Western Michigan is the best team in the MAC. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the other thing that concerns me if I'm Western Michigan right now, it's just not that the they haven't played to their potential these last couple of weeks, but it's it's been sloppy. You mentioned the turnovers last week against Akron. 14 penalties, 102 yards for the Broncos. They just haven't been, I don't know, something seems off with them these last couple of weeks. You mentioned Caleb Ellaby, you know, his last three games, probably his three worst games of the season. That's not true. I think you'd probably put the Ball State game uh, up there as well. But these last three games, 
you know, going back to that Toledo game you mentioned, hasn't really seemed like himself. You mentioned the two interceptions he's thrown over the last two weeks. Uh, and then, you know, that Toledo game barely completed half of his passes in that one. I think the thing that uh, the thing that I was encouraged by, you know, with with Western Michigan last week was was the run game. You know, they had 45 carries for 316 yards against the Zips. Now, I know Akron's run defense is bad, but, you know, when you play a bad run defense, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to run the ball well, and they did that. I mean, Sean Tyler has been fantastic. Yeah, I think he's really kind of surpassed Ladarius Jefferson as their lead back here of these last couple of weeks. Tyler, 147 yards and a touchdown on only 16 carries against the Zips. Now, I think this is a matchup where, you know, the, the, the Broncos run game versus the Eastern Michigan run defense. I do think the Broncos have a significant advantage there. Eastern Michigan giving up almost 200 yards a game on the ground and, and almost five yards a carry as well. I think Western Michigan will do well to take advantage of that. But on the flip side, I don't like what I see from this Western Michigan secondary right now. I mean, Zach Gibson with over 300 yards last week uh, against this, uh, the Broncos secondary, two touchdowns. Donato Mumfield had an unbelievable game, really doing whatever he wanted against his Broncos secondary. He seemed to be open all night. Michael Matheson as well. I mean, Mumfield had 11 catches for 122 yards and two scores. Matheson had eight for 112. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, the Eastern Michigan, uh, uh, you know, receiving uh, or passing game with Ben Bryant slinging the ball around, I think they're going to do well and, and against this Western Michigan defense. I think, honestly, Steve, I, I, I agree with you in terms of this being a high-scoring game, though. I think this is one I, – I think Eastern Michigan is going to win this one. I only – because I just don't know what to expect. I, I guess I should say I don't trust the, uh, the Western Michigan secondary against this passing attack. I think the, the Western Michigan – I'm sorry, the Eastern Michigan uh, receiving room and, you know, Ben Bryant got to be loving what they're seeing on film this week. I, I think uh, they'll be able to take advantage of that. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, a really interesting game. Uh, in that uh, three-way rivalry or for the Battle of Michigan, Michigan Trophy with Central Michigan as well. Uh, one of the most intriguing uh, in rivalries in college sports. One of the few three-way rivalries that we have. Beehive uh, boot. What's that? The Beehive boot. Utah, Utah State, and BYU. That's, have that's that right. Yeah. That, there's, you got that and the Commander-in-Chief trophy. I think those are the only – is that the only three? Only three I can think of. And yeah, in this game last year, Eastern and Western was 53 to 42. That was Eastern yeah. Michigan's first win of the season after an 0-4 start and Western's first loss after a 4-0 start. So, That's yeah, right. that, that, that seems to be the trend that Eastern Michigan can always sneak up on someone, and it's going to be a close game and a high-scoring shootout. Yeah, it sure, it sure will be. Kickoff at 7.30 uh, Tuesday night on ESPN2. Uh, also, Tuesday night, uh, this one at 8 o'clock on ESPNU, uh, Bowling Green travels down to Oxford to take on the Miami Redhawks. Miami, a 17-point home favorite in this one. The total set at 51. Steve, things were looking really good for Bowling Green after that Minnesota win. Since then, they have lost five of six. Uh, Miami headed kind of in the other direction. They've won three of their last four now as they've started to get healthy, and this Brett Gabbard has come back. They're currently tied atop the MAC East with Kent State, both sitting at four and two right now. Uh, you know, I, I thought – Last week, Bowling Green, they got down early, 14-0. They come back a little bit. They cut it to 14-10. You start to think they might make a game out of that. And Toledo just really kind of put the pedal to the floor, and Bowling Green couldn't keep up after that. With the way that uh, this Miami offense is looking right now with Brett Gabbard, feels like this is going to be a tall task for the Falcons down in Oxford. Yeah, if there's one Mac game this week that just looks like a complete blowout to me, it's going to be this one because I just don't see Bowling Green 
rebirthing that offense that they had against Buffalo a couple of weeks ago. That was really surprising to see them come out like that score 56. Tarion Stewart finally got things going on the ground, but I, I like what this Miami defense brings to the table. They really, they really stifled Buffalo last week. I thought Cameron Butler did a great job from the defensive end spot, stopping Buffalo's run, got in the backfield a couple of times for some nice tackles. And Ivan Pace and Matthew Salopek, this year have been just great tacklers in the run game too. Salopek from the safety position, Ivan Pace has really stepped up with Ryan McWood being out for the year. So I think Miami has a lot of good pieces on defense needed to stop a team and Bowling Green. They're so inconsistent on offense that I just can't trust them to score more than 20 points on a regular basis at this point. That 56 point outburst is such an anomaly this season because they haven't even scored half that many as in any other game this year. So I'm kind of expecting Miami to win this in a one-sided game. Brett Gabbert, he's playing his best football that he's played since he's got on campus. And this is a quarterback that's already won a MAC title. And that's, that says a lot. He's, he's really grown the last two years uh, since his true freshman season when Miami did accomplish that feat. Miami's running game isn't the best, but they actually looked solid against Buffalo last week. Mosey, Tracy, Shelton, Kevin Davis, they, they were splitting it between all the four of those backs and they each averaged over 4.5 yards a carry in that game. So I, I thought the running backs did pretty well. But when you play Miami, you're looking at the wide receivers and the tight ends. That 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 group is absolutely stacked with Jack Sorensen making headlines every single week for his ridiculous receiving performances. And Matt Kippenhammer and Jalen Walker just serve as great compliments there. And Cold Iron and Homer do a great job. Tight ends. Homer, especially near the goal line, has five touchdowns this yeah. year on only 12 receptions. So when Miami's going to the goal line, they use a lot of tight ends. And I think they'll be able to get those again against Bowling Green. And then the Red Hawks last week, they finally forced turnovers. They entered, they entered that game as one of the worst uh, turnover forcing teams in the country, averaging under one takeaway per contest. They were able to get they were able to get multiple on Buffalo. They got them early and they ended up recovering three fumbles and forcing an interception and Sterling Weatherford's played such a big part in forcing many of those turnovers this year for Miami. I think if they can continue to get that going, I won't be surprised if you see another Mac title appearance uh, for Chuck Martin's team. I agree with you completely, Steve. I think uh, I'm really looking, I mean, if, if, you know, games this weekend go as expected, obviously you've got Kent state and, and uh, Akron and then, uh, this one here, you know, Miami Bowling Green, that, that Miami Kent State game next week is shaping up to be a really good one. But talking about this game specifically, I especially, you know, I agree with your, your last comment about, you know, the turnovers and them being able to generate turnovers last week. You mentioned Sterling Weatherford uh, has been instrumental for this defense all year. You think back to that, you know, that Ball State game, Ball State going and, you know, driving to potentially win that game. Sterling Weatherford picks off Drew Plitt in the end zone. I just, uh, I, I agree with you, Steve. I feel like even here, you know, 17 points. I believe this line opened at 14. It's moved up to 17, and I still I, – that doesn't even feel like enough to me. I mean, I think Miami, to me, is playing as one of the two or three best teams in the conference here over these last few weeks. Bowling Green, that, that, that Bowling Green-Buffalo game, to me, that might be the most, like, unexplainable, most inexplicable result of any game in the, all, all of the MAC this year just because I just – I still can't figure out how Bowling Green – pulled that off, or at least to that level of performance to put up 56 points there, as you mentioned, haven't even scored half that in the rest of their games. I just think Bowling Green uh, seems to be falling apart a little bit right now. You know, their defense, which started the year so well, I mean, they're, they're, 
they, you know, they gave up over 500 yards to Toledo last week, 539 yards. Couldn't stop them through the air. Couldn't stop them on the ground. I mean, the Rockets averaged 6.4 yards per carry. Daquan Finn completed uh, 75% of his passes, you know, 11 yards per attempt. Uh, Matt McDonald has, you know, he started off the year. He, he seemed like he was really improving in these last couple of weeks, or I shouldn't say these last couple of weeks. He didn't play bad against Buffalo, but here against, you know, Toledo again, he just, he can't give us seem to have any consistency to his game. Only 11 of 20 for 65 yards here against Toledo on the flip side. I just, I really like what I'm seeing from Miami. And I think they're, as I said, I think they're playing like the best team in the East right now. Uh, just given what we've seen from Kent state's defense over the last couple of weeks. I agree with you, Steve. I don't see this one being close. I think, you know, Miami's going to score early and often in this one. I don't see Bowling Green having much success. So uh, Miami taking on Bowling Green at home in Oxford. Uh, that one kicks off Tuesday night, eight o'clock on ESPNU. Uh, moving forward to – oh, sorry. I have one ahead. quick callback before we move on. Remember at yeah. the very – before the season when we were looking at over-under win totals and you said Miami 4.5, and I just had a reaction on camera to that. I said, no way that's real. I said, take the over. Well, yeah. congrats to anyone who cashed that in. Uh, I, I didn't myself, but I know other people that I told to did, and it cashed. Miami has their fifth win of the season with potential of seven, and I thought that was probably one of the easiest win total bets you could have made all year. Totally agree with you, Steve. That one was good. Yeah. I think it even, I mean, it eventually, I think moved up to five, but even, even still an easy, easy bet that uh, is going to easily go over here. Another one of those that, that I remember caught our eyes at the beginning of the season is involved in this lat this next game, the Buffalo Bulls at the start of the year, I believe their, their win total was set at eight. Uh, they take on Northern Illinois this week uh, at home in Buffalo Bulls now sit four and six after losses the last two weeks, Buffalo, a one and a half point home underdog in this one, the total set at 63 and a half, uh, seven o'clock Wednesday, this game kicks on ESPN two, uh, Northern Illinois, we, a game we didn't even get a chance to really talk about Steve coming off that thrilling come from behind win against ball state last week, 30 to 29, they trailed 10, nothing in that game. And, uh, you know, had that last second field goal, uh, with an infamous, uh, celebration from, uh, from uh, John Richardson there and, and the Huskies uh, to give them the 30 to 29 win over ball state in the battle of the bronze stock. Uh, this is another one. I, I feel like I've said this a couple of times already, Steve, but this line is a little bit odd to me. I mean, Northern Illinois, I know it's on the road, but only a one and a half point favorite in this game. They're coming off a huge win. Buffalo coming off their second straight awful performance four turnovers. They get out gained five thirty six to three sixty one against Miami gave up two sacks only average about three yards of carry on the ground. Things seem to be going south for Buffalo right now. Uh, this one feels like a pretty easy Northern Illinois victory for me. Uh, I don't know. Am I wrong? How do you, how do you, what do you think about this one? Well, the one and a half spread is hilarious because if you bet on NIU to cover one and a half points, they would have won outright and lost that spread three times this year. They're the only FBS team to win three games by one point this season. Great point. Great and all point, six, yeah. all six of their FBS wins are by one possession. They were by one, seven, two, eight, one, and one. Now, yeah. NIU didn't get the luxury of facing Akron or Ohio in crossover play, or like back when Ohio wasn't as good. So I think Buffalo might be one of their easier games. So far, They their biggest win of the season against an FBS opponent is Bowling Green by eight. So I think this will be one of their easier games this year. So I do think that they do cover that one and a half point spread. And NIU is playing really good offense right now. At the beginning of the year, we were talking about how they're just such a run heavy team, but now they're one of the most balanced teams in the conference. 
Jay Ducker puts up his annual or his weekly 150 yard performance every game. And he's done a three of the last four games for the Huskies with 155 and a touchdown last week against Ball State. Meanwhile, Rocky Lombardi he recovered from that injury in the Kent State game to throw for 264 last week. Trayvon Rudolph and Cole Tucker were the recipients of a lot of Lombardi's passes, and they've been slinging it deep, and they've got a lot of 50-plus yard plays happening recently. And NIU's defense also did a great job in the second half of really stopping Ball State because Ball State came out a little firing. They were up 10 to zero right away and NIU kind of slowed them down later in the game and they were held to just a mere field goal with 142 left in the fourth quarter. So I thought the defense really came into its own. The Huskies are a second half team. They've outscored opponents by 50 points in the fourth quarter this year. Even though they go down early, they're never out of it. So another NIU win after trailing by double digits that they had. And I just don't think that Buffalo has Buffalo doesn't really have the firepower to match the Huskies at this point. Buffalo doesn't seem as good as a passing offense as what Lombardi has with Rudolph and Tucker and his receivers there. And even Buffalo's rushing offense right now doesn't seem as potent as what NIU has. And that's weird to say about a Buffalo team and Buffalo's defense last week, their secondary struggled recently and they made Bowling Green look really good. They gave up 56 to the Falcons. They gave up 45 to Miami Redhawks. I do not trust this Buffalo defense right now. I think NIU's offense is going to take advantage of that, and the Huskies improved to 8-3. and three. That would be quite a start for a team that was 0-6 one year ago. Definitely would. It definitely would. Yeah, it's like it's, it's funny because it's like we, uh, you know, there was that game, what game was it, when they played Bowling Green a couple weeks ago where Rocky Lombardi threw eight passes. Mm -hmm. And then the week after that, you know, they go to Central Michigan, and it's almost like they watched Rocky Lombardi that day, and the coaching staff was like, oh, yeah, he can throw the ball too. And then now these last two weeks, I mean, he threw 57 times against Kent State, as you mentioned, Northern Illinois record, 532 yards. He's looked really good these last three weeks. I mean, the one interception last week against Ball State, but even that, I'm not going to hold that against him. I mean, he's thrown seven touchdowns, one interception these last three weeks. I love what the, the Northern Illinois receiving core, you know, beginning of the year, they weren't getting many touches. Now these last couple of weeks, you know, Trayvon Rudolph, eight catches, 108 yards last week. Uh, you know, following up the incredible performance he had uh, a couple of weeks ago against uh, Kent State as well, 14 for 309. Uh, so I really like what I'm seeing from this Northern Illinois offense. The other thing, uh, you know, we can't forget about is, you know, you mentioned their run game with Jay Ducker. You know, he had another 150 yards last week. When you look at the, you know, defensive stats in the MAC, you know, Buffalo giving up about 200 yards a game on the ground. You know, they're eighth in the MAC in rushing defense. And so I really feel like Northern Illinois is going to be able to take advantage of this Buffalo defense. And, you know, Northern Illinois has proven these last couple of weeks that they can run the ball. They're not just throw, passing, or I'm sorry, they can pass it, not just run it. So um, I think they're going to be able to pick what, whichever way they want to beat Buffalo in this one. I don't see the, the, the Bulls defense having much success in this game offensively you know buffalo last week i i you know i talked about it already a little bit uh in, in the introduction um but just don't, i don't like what i see from their offensive line right now only averaging you know, three eight yards a carry against uh, miami last week dylan mcduffie you know still had himself a nice game but he, he needs some help uh calvin trees the passing game just couldn't seem to get anything going i like northern illinois to run away in this one i think uh you know buffalo seems like I think if I think if I'm Buffalo, I'm, I'm looking towards 2022 right now and see what I can do to bounce back next year. Moving on, uh, one one other Wednesday night game. We've got Central Michigan 
coming off that really nice win over the uh, over uh, Kent State last week. Uh, they travel down to Muncie to take on Ball State. Ball State a two point favorite in this one after that heartbreaking loss uh, to Northern Illinois last week. The total set at sixty two in this one. This one Wednesday at seven thirty on ESPNU. We talked about Lou Nichols in the intro. Steve forty three carries, two hundred fifteen yards, four touchdowns, uh, and then you know Ball State again not their best performance last week. Uh, losing to the Huskies there. They got a 10 nothing lead in that one before letting it slip away. Uh, what do you think here, Steve? I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to see Ball State as a home favorite over Central Michigan. I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't say I'm surprised, but I thought, uh, you know, maybe given the Chippewas' performance the last couple of weeks, uh, they might get a little bit more love there. Uh, but I don't know. This is an intriguing matchup to me. This is a really intriguing matchup to me because I, th I think Ball State over the last month has been playing really well. This, you know, obviously came up just a bit short last week. Uh, I'll be curious to see how they bounce back. What do you think about this one? I have flipped back and forth on this one. At the moment, I like Central Michigan just because of what the Chippewas have done in midweek action so far. I mean, they've been the best team on midweek action this season. So, yeah, yeah they had that zero-point first quarter last week and then responded by, by with automatic touchdowns on every possession pretty much. And Ball State – They've, they've had a lot of dry spells offensively this year. Ball State had that three-game streak after their bad start where you're like, okay, this is a 2020 Cardinals team again. But in their 17-point performance against Miami, losing to NIU after the hot start there, and, only, and being a goal-line fumble away from losing to Akron, I've had a little less trust in the Cardinals than I did when they were beating Army, Western Michigan, and Eastern Michigan on that streak. So it's been an up and down roller coaster season for this Cardinals team. And right now, I, I think I trust Central Michigan more. Daniel Richardson's played some really good football recently. And I really like what happens when he targets downfield. Lou Nichols has so much stamina to break through opposing defenses in Western Michigan, even as talented as run defense as Western Michigan was going into that game, they had no answer for Lou Nichols there. So I think that will be a good challenge for Ball State's linebacking core, which is a pretty strong linebacking core for the most part. But they did give up 155 to Jay Ducker, who's kind of a workhorse running back last week. So I, I kind of want to see what Nichols does against the same defense. Also, I just think that Ball State's running game, although Carson Steele's looked better in recent weeks, I just don't know if they'll be able to establish it with – I'm not as confident as – and their running game is Central Michigan's game. So although Carson Steele's had a lot of good weeks recently, Ball State struggled with that at the beginning of the year. Central Michigan, they have a lot of guys up front. And yeah. they, made, they made Kent State, who is a fantastic running team, look really bad last week. Kent State averaged just 3.5 yards a carry. They didn't have a 100-yard rusher. Dustin Crum was limited to six yards on nine attempts. Marquez Cooper only got 83. And... I think that Central Michigan, they're, they're tackling their guys up front. Your Troy Hairstons, your Jacques Bristol, Alonzo McCoy, just so many of those guys up front. George Douglas from the linebacker position were doing a great job of wrapping up, getting to guys and bringing them down at first contact. So I think Central Michigan's going to limit that area of Ball State's game, force Ball State to pass, and it's going to look like kind of the beginning of the year Ball State again. Yeah, and then, and then, you know, another guy I love on that defense, he got him back last week, Troy Brown. If you saw the difference he made in that, you know, having that defense, how different they look with him in there. I agree with you, Steve. And I think, you know, the Central Michigan defense is playing well. And I also, the other thing that, uh, 
The other matchup I think that favors Central Michigan in this game is that the Ball State defense has struggled against the pass this year. They're giving up almost 250 yards a game uh, through the air, which is 10th in the MAC. But neither neither pass defense is good here. But I think the Central Michigan passing offense set up a little bit better to take advantage of that. Not not to uh, you know not to say talk negatively about the Ball State passing offense, but I just I really you mentioned Daniel Richardson. I love the way he's playing right now. You know he passed the 2,000 yard mark uh, in, in the win uh, last week over Kent State. He's now thrown 19 touchdowns and only two interceptions on the season. I love his decision making. Obviously, we talked about Khalil Pimpleton had his transcendent performance a couple weeks ago. Uh, with those two punt return touchdowns in the past in the receiving touchdown against Western Michigan, Ja'Cory Sullivan, Dallas Dixon, Khalil Pimpleton, I mean, all of these guys that are weapons in the past game. And then you got, you know, Lou Nichols coming out of the backfield. One of the, you know, the, not one of, he is the best running back in the conference right now, the way he's playing. I think that ball state, you know, offensively, I, there's, there's, I don't know. It's a little bit too up and down for me right now. You know, you, you look last week, you know, Drew Plitt's only 11 of 26, you know, he completely only 126 yards in a touchdown. I agree with what you said about Carson Steele. Carson Steele has come on really well this last month or so, had uh, 109 yards on 21 carries against the Huskies last week. Or, I, you know, you look at him, you know, three, uh, three out of the last four weeks, he's gone for 100 yards, averaging well over five yards a carry over that stretch. I do. So I do like what I'm seeing from this Ball State offense. I just feel like Kent State, uh, that the way it seems like they're like with, they've kind of discovered recently their, their identity and they're really kind of coming into their own here. And, you know, even that game, you know, they've won four of their last five, even that game against Northern Illinois, you could argue they should have won that one, uh, which was, it was really a, you know, a coin flip game. So, you know, this is a team that could easily be on coming into this game on a five game win streak. And I just think they're the team that's playing better right now. Tough to go on the road to Muncie and get a win. I can understand why ball state is favored at home. Uh, but I, I think I could see the Chippewas uh, pulling out the victory in this one on the road. Again, this one kicks Wednesday night, uh, 7.30 on ESPNU. And then our last MAC game of the week, this one on Saturday, uh, Kent State traveling to Akron uh, for the Battle of the Wagon Wheel. Akron, a 13-point home underdog in this one. The total set at 75 in this one. I'll be honest, Steve, you could have told me the total was set at 90, and I would have said that still might not be high enough for this game. This one kicks Saturday at noon on ESPN+. Plus. First game for Kent State since uh, the firing of defensive coordinator Tom Coffin. We talked about it earlier, Steve, uh, in the introduction. They're 11th in the MAC in scoring defense, last in total defense, last in passing defense, ninth in rushing defense. All of, their, all of those metrics nationally, they're worse. They're either 100th or worse in all of those metrics defensively. Akron's been playing well these last couple weeks, close but no cigar in both cases. Uh, with close losses to Ball State and Western Michigan last week. Offensively, they're playing well. Fanata Mumfield had a good game last week. Zach Gibson has thrown for 300 yards for the, two straight weeks. This, to me, Steve, I mean, if, I think Kent State obviously is the more talented team here. Akron is struggling. Feels like there could be a whole lot of points scored in this game, though. What do you think about this one? I remember earlier in the season, I said any MAC team can beat any MAC team, but maybe throw out Akron. Now you can throw yeah. Akron back in because any team can beat any MAC team at this point. They, yeah. they were just three yards away on Zach Gibson's run from beating Ball State and Western Michigan. If they fended off Caleb Ellaby's touchdown throw to Corey Crooms at the end, they would have won that game. And Zach Gibson has played tremendous football. Akron never has good quarterback play on their campus, it feels like. And the Zips this year, under Gibson have done phenomenally. He's completing 70% of his passes, 
He has 10 touchdowns. Guess how many interceptions he has? Zero. Not even a single pick this year in 136 attempts. That is not what we have seen out of Akron football anytime recently. And Zach Gibson has kept these zips in these games these past two weeks. His receivers, Kanata Mumpfield and Michael Matheson, that might be the best receiving duo I think I've ever seen on campus for the zips. Those two both had over 100 yards last week, played great football against Western Michigan, saw a lot of playmaking against Ball State as well from that duo. And Johnson Norris keeps the passing game, uh, keeps defenses honest uh, that are trying to look to defend the pass because Norris has broken through with a couple 20-yard runs in recent weeks. So Akron has a lot of good things going for it on offense. The defense without Bubba Arslanian just hasn't been as right this year. But Akron can get out in shootouts with teams, and they can really force problems for our opponents. So I'm impressed what I've seen with the Zips recently. And then Kent State is kind of like Akron, but on steroids. Their offense is a bit more craftier. They have some more veterans, more experience, more explosiveness there in their up-tempo scheme. <clears throat> their defense also isn't anything to marvel at, but they're a team that can just outscore you. And I think that's what the direction Kent State's going to head this week, especially without their defensive coordinator. Dustin Crumb still has not thrown a pick since that Texas A&M game. He's done a great job of taking care of the ball. Kent State had a rare game where they lost the turnover battle last week. But I think if you can put those turnovers aside, which they were both in central Michigan territory through those early fumbles, I think if you can put that aside, then those turn into touchdowns with the way Kent State was moving the ball in that game. So I think that Kent State still is in good shape after that loss as an offense. Just need to keep taking care of the ball like they have been and things will go the right direction. And the running game just needs to the running game won't have any problems. Uh, jump starting back against Akron after a struggling performance against Central Michigan that we mentioned earlier. I think Kent State wins this game. If I had to guess the score, I say Kent State gets above 50 Akron's in the 30s. So it'll probably be a double digit game and the wagon wheel will stay in Kent. And that should set up with Kent State and Miami as heavy favorites this week. That should set up a de facto Mac East title game to end November. So that should be pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. That That's going to be a game I'll have circled uh, should the results this weekend hold. And yeah, you know, um, as far as your assessment of the game, yeah, that, that feels right to me. I honestly, I feel like the 13 points in this one to me feels like a little bit much. I, this feels like a seven to 10 point game to me somewhere in that ballpark. I just think with the way that Akron's playing right now, uh, offensively compared with how Kent State's defense has looked the last few weeks, the fact that it's a rivalry game, the fact that Akron is at home, I think the Zips keep this one close. I don't think they win this game. Kent State has too much firepower, and at a certain point, that does matter, right? Um, I just, you know, when I think about Kent State, the thing that concerns me with Kent State, as talented as they are and as good as they can look at times, there are also these times where they have this propensity to just completely fall apart. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you know, this game against Central Michigan last week, that first quarter against Central Michigan was maybe the best quarter Kent State has played all year. They gave, you know, they held uh, Central Michigan to um, punts on both of their positions. And then on when Kent State got the ball, they went nine plays, 80 yards, touchdown. They went, then they got 12 plays, 75 yards touchdown then even after that second touchdown they scored they had that absurd onside kick that they recovered where it bounced off the central michigan up yeah i've never seen a kick like that in 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 football but it worked 
So Kent State at that point, you're up 14 nothing. You have completely dominated the game, and you have the ball at midfield after uh, you know recovering that onside kick. At that point, I was like, Kent State might win this game by 100. And then after that, you know, they go three and out there. They punt the ball. Central Michigan goes down and scores. Kent State fumbles. Central Michigan goes down and scores. Kent State fumbles again. Central Michigan goes down and scores again. And like a five-minute span, the game went from 14-0 to 19-14. They're lucky, you know, Kent, or Central Michigan missed an extra point and then missed a two-point conversion as well. So um, just in that quick stretch there, it just went – I mean, it, the whole game completely changed. The whole thing fell apart on Kent State. And um, – I say all that to say, you know, you never know when that's going to happen with them. It happened in the Western Michigan game. It happened last week against Central Michigan. I don't think it'll happen here against Akron because they have, you know, talent-wise, they're far superior here. But we've, we've been talking the last couple minutes, and we've talked about it the last few weeks. I really like offensively what I see from Akron. I think uh, there's, you know, a, a young core on offense is really starting to emerge here for the Zips over these last few weeks with Zach Gibson and, and Mumfield and Matheson on the outside. And John Zell Norris has been running the ball well these last couple of weeks. And I just, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a football fan, as a Mac fan, I hope that they can hire someone who can keep this young core together for Akron. I would hate to see a bunch of these young guys who have broken out this year, go into the transfer portal and find somewhere else to finish their college careers. I think it would be awesome if they could keep this core together and really start to build something in Akron, because you can see the blueprint, at least on offense. I don't know what if I, you know, defensively, as you mentioned, Steve, you know, Arslanian goes out, he's their leader. They're struggling on defense. That that's, you know, you, you can be sure about that. 45 points for Western Michigan last week, 533 yards for the Broncos, 316 rushing yards. I think that's, you know, something right there. You look at Western Michigan and see them put up 300 rushing yards on the defense. I could can't see Kent State putting even more than that. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you, though, Steve. This feels like a high-scoring game. I think Kent State wins this one without too much of an issue. So that's our only Saturday game this week uh, in the MAC. You know, as we get towards Thanksgiving at the end of the year here, we start to shift a few games back to uh, to the weekends. So that'll uh, that'll finish up our, our MAC previews for this week. Steve, let's take a look, quick look at the rest of the the slate here, as is tradition uh, to close out the the, the segment. Uh, we got. Uh, some interesting matchups this week. A lot of good games this week. Uh, you know, conference races are starting to come uh, come into the picture. Got a couple of top, you know, or at least one top 10 matchup in the Big Ten with Michigan State and Ohio State. That'll be a good game this weekend. What's on your radar this weekend? Just there is just one game on the schedule. It's one of those rivalries where you just have to throw out the records when these two teams play. It's such a great trophy. There's story tradition behind it. And I'm talking about the civil conflict. UConn versus UCF. <laughs> Uh, UConn and UCF, it's a great rivalry. One team really wants to win the trophy. The other team disregards it and leaves it in the soaking rain when they win it. And, yeah, I mean, the, the Knights and Huskies, it's just a great matchup when these two teams take the field. And you can get a ticket for $5 this, this weekend at the Bounce House in Orlando. So I think that would definitely be a fun non-conference game to attend, given the history of these programs. Appointment television, yeah. The, the the heated former AAC rivals. That's yeah, that's hilarious. How about I? I thought uh, I saw your tweet. I had to do a double thing. I thought uh, you know I thought my phone was like playing tricks on me or something on Saturday. Well, I saw UConn with a seven nothing lead on Clemson 
after they they take back the even even seeing the highlight i've never seen a kickoff like that where the returner drops the ball and hat can't you know has to look around for it and then still takes it to the house that was an unbelievable play there they high-fived each other they high-fived each other on the way to the end zone (laughs) unbelievable what what an unbelievable play that was and uh yeah unfortunately for the huskies that was about the high point for them uh in in that game uh yeah for me though steve i'm uh I'm really looking forward to that Ohio State Michigan State game, uh, noon on ABC. Michigan State travels to the Horseshoe. I mean, Michigan State here, you know, still really that with their only loss being to Michigan, uh, or I'm sorry, their only loss being to Purdue. My, I'm, I'm not, my bad. You know, they're still they win this game versus Ohio State on the road. Still a chance to get into the playoff. I think an outside chance. They win this game, win the Big Ten championship. Uh, I could still see them getting into the playoff. Um, so that, that, that's one I got, uh, circled on my schedule. Anything else for you? I know it's tough to top the civil conflict, but is there anything else you, you're looking for this weekend? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking more AAC action right now. Cincinnati, they've been playing with their food a lot recently, yeah. letting teams stick around for too long. And it's not the most impressive thing to the committee. My personal opinion is I think that the committee will put Michigan or Michigan state, maybe even both past them this week giving Cincinnati more barriers to clear, but still it's a number six scoring defense in the Bearcats. And this will be their greatest challenge of the AAC play going against the number six scoring offense in SMU. SMU had the two little rough patches against Houston, then the less explainable one against Memphis the week after, but SMU hit their stride last week, scoring 55 against the UCF defense, which had looked pretty improved over the year. And Tanner Mordecai just played out of his mind with 377 passing yards and SMU, they, they could really surprise the Bearcats at Nippert with the way the Bearcats have been playing recently. So Cincinnati really has to revert to those Notre Dame or UCF games in order to be in order to knock off SMU and keep that playoff dream alive. So that's one game that I've looked at. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I, I think uh, I, I you know I want Cincinnati to get in the playoff, and you know I, I, I unfortunately mm-hmm. though I agree with you. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna drop out if they keep playing this way. I'd like to see them start to you know play a little bit better here as you mentioned a couple underwhelming performances in the last few weeks one other game i'm looking at this week another game you know i mentioned you know that that total of you know you can tell me the total of 80 in kent state akron i believe you another game where we might see 80 90 points for i'm looking at i'm I, you know i really like this pit team this year pit got they got virginia coming to heinz field this week you got uh you know two outstanding quarterbacks kenny pickett and Brennan Armstrong for the Cavaliers. I know Virginia didn't play well last week against uh, Notre Dame. Obviously, you know, 28 to three, only scored three points in that game. But I mean, these are two teams. I mean, you look at Duke, you know, you got uh, for Pitt, you got, you know, 54, 29 against Duke, 38, 34. You know, Virginia had that, what was it, 66 to 50 game against BYU a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is two game, two teams that can really, really score the ball. I'm literally looking forward to that one at Heinz Field at 3.30 on Saturday. Pitt looking to, uh, get firmly into the driver's seat of the, uh, the coastal division there in the ACC. So uh, as always, we have a great slate this week, uh, both midweek with the Mac. We got one Saturday Mac game, the rest of the uh, rest of the slate on Saturday as well. Steve, any final thoughts for the people before we get out of here? Any final thoughts? Uh, I don't know if I have any, just one other game I was going to point to is one that has a big effect on the, CFP race Utah versus Oregon this week I know Utah yeah. didn't have the best performance against Arizona last week and the Utes and the Ducks will probably play again in the Pac-12 championship game as Utah has a commanding lead on that Pac-12 South division right now so I think that could be a really 
intriguing game on ABC that could shake things up as Utah could play a spoiler, just like Oregon played a spoiler to Utah in 2019. So that could be an interesting game, but this is, this is a really good slate. And I love Thanksgiving football on both sides of it, the, the Saturday before. And then like when you get to the, the egg bowl on Thursday, when you're with your family and like the Friday, black Friday games and then Saturday, yeah. that is the best week of college football of the year is the, from Saturday to Saturday of the Thanksgiving. So it's always fun to look forward to. And then you get rival. I know this is cupcake week for the SEC, but other than that, it's a pretty good week. And then you get rivalry week on the other side of it. Totally agree with you, Steve. I think uh, this is the best week of the season for me. And I just, Thanksgiving has always been my favorite holiday only because it is so tightly tied in with football. I love the whole, the whole week's going to be great. Really looking forward to it. So that'll wrap up the football segment for this week, folks here on the other side of the break. Uh, Vansy with me, break down the week in Mac basketball, Uh, signing off here uh, myself, Steve Helwick. We will be back on uh, the other side of this break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. Closing out here on uh, closing out the show here today, bringing back in fellow hustle belt, fellow hustle belt. Man, I can't talk this morning. Zach Van Wenzy, Vanzi on Twitter. Vanzi, how you doing, man? Oh, pretty good. Uh, you know, it's a nice, cool day here in Michigan. A little bit of snow. Uh, definitely starting to shift towards basketball weather here. You know, the the season came up on us, and now uh, the weather seems to agree. Yes, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So we are one week into basketball season here, Vansy. We had uh, an interesting week in the MAC. Uh, some some teams that look really good. Some teams that uh, didn't play quite so well but it's always tough in this time of year you're playing the, the the levels of competition you're playing vary and so widely so I think it's going to be a while before we know too too much about any of these teams but let's let's dive right into it here uh you know Vansy just wanted to start off kind of from a 30,000 foot view just kind of get some general impressions from you here uh this first week of the MAC what did you think about what you saw this week well yeah really I think if you're the mid-american conference you know you couldn't have asked for a great first day really of the season the rest of the week you know I mean uh, was just kind of added on after that first night because you have Akron uh, who almost beats Ohio State loses in the final minute Eastern Michigan comes back and almost beats Indiana the 12th ranked team in the in the MAC preseason poll NIU beats Washington of the Pac-12 Miami beats Georgia Tech I know Georgia Tech nowadays is a mess down there But still, those are, you know, two teams getting upsets are actually, you know, three of those four teams I mentioned from the MAC, not a lot is expected of. And they're all they're all right there. And, and, uh, you know, two getting upsets and one almost getting an upset in Buffalo, Buffalo, uh, you know, I mean, it kind of gets lost, but they only lost by 12. They were in it until the end against the number six ranked team in the nation on the road in Michigan. You know, so I think that's something uh, that, you know, is another positive result and uh you know so i think for the first day you're talking about all these teams kind of being jumbled in 
Well, those were some pretty good performances team-wise uh, for the Mid-American Conference for a conference that's kind of maligned nationally. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you completely, Vanzi. And, and <clears throat> all those games you mentioned, even like, you know, those close losses, uh, Indiana, Eastern Michigan, Ohio State, Akron, you know, I look at a game like Eastern that, that Eastern Michigan-Indiana game where, you know, first 10 minutes of that game, you could tell, you know, Eastern Michigan, you know, their first team, they got so many new new pieces coming in, a new coach. It's always interesting to see how a team's going to respond. You could, you could tell at the beginning of that game there were some nerves. But from like the, I don't know, the 10 minute, uh, or I should say probably last two, two, three minutes of that first half and then that second half, they looked great. They really did. I was really impressed with what I saw from Eastern Michigan. And I say all of that to say that even in those close losses, you mentioned Eastern Michigan losing to Indiana, Ohio State losing to Akron, you know, Michigan uh, knocking off Buffalo by 12. In those, in those games, you, you never felt as if, the the Mac team was out of their depth, right? They they looked like they belonged on the court with those teams. I even think, you know, another another good sign for me, whenever I'm, you know, when I'm looking at non-conference schedules in basketball, I want to see how the Mac measures up with some of the other, you know, quote unquote mid-major conferences around the country. So that's why I was very uh, impressed and encouraged by uh, a fact of like, you look at a game like Ohio takes on Belmont from the Ohio Valley Conference. Belmont, you know, that's a team that's been to the tournament a number of times these last 10 years, a really good mid-major program. Ohio puts 92 points on them, beats them 92 to 80. So I think a game, a win like that kind of shows the relative strength of the MAC to me when it comes to when you're looking at other quote unquote peer conferences of theirs uh, in, in basketball. So I think that was an encouraging, uh, encouraging one as well. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our kind of performance of the week, disappointments of the week, stuff like that. Uh, you can go, we can go team or individual here, Vansy. Uh, if you had to, you know, one standout performance of the week, what, what, what would you give that to? Well, I actually got two different ones. Uh, you know, real quick, you touched on Ohio. Um, last night, you know, late last night, they played Cleveland State at Cleveland yeah. State and they beat Cleveland State. Cleveland State was a tournament team last year. You know, they, they won their yeah. league. So Ohio right now, they don't have that marquee win, you know, like, you know, you see from some of these teams, but they beat two very solid mid-majors, which is very impressive. Um, my performance of the week, I got to go with Williams of Buffalo, uh, you know, 32 points against Michigan. Um, you know, Michigan's a strong defensive team, um, you know, so for him to go for 32 against a sixth-ranked team in the nation on the road, a Big Ten opponent who plays a physical style, uh, the, the outstanding performance, um, you know, and I mean, right now he's got the early, very early uh, max scoring lead. So um, good for him there. But I, I think those are the two which stood out out to me, um, you know, Ohio being 2-0 and with two solid wins and Williams of Buffalo going for 32. Yeah, J uh, Jonathan Williams really uh, acquitted himself well in that Michigan game. He's going to be really fun to watch this year, and that's also that's a great uh, great call out there with Ohio. Um, you know, you know, two you got you're playing two you know solid mid majors to start the season. You get two wins there. I think that's a that's a great way to a uh, great way to start the year for uh, for the Bobcats. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm also I got two here as well. Um, first one for me. You mentioned that Northern Illinois win over uh, over Washington. Obviously, it's a it's a team game. That's a team win. But a, a guy that I brought up last week on the show, 
uh, as someone to watch this year. Trenton Hankerson from uh, for the Huskies on uh, on Tuesday night against the uh, against uh, Washington, nine for fifteen from the field, six eleven of eleven from three, twenty eight points, seven rebounds for him in that game. You walk into a Pac twelve arena and you you get your your new head coach Rashawn Burno his first win in his first game. That's a heck of a win. Uh, for, for this Huskies program, especially a team, as you mentioned, you know, picked 12th in the preseason poll, not a lot expected of the Huskies this year. So a really great way to start Rashawn Burno's, uh, you know, his, his journey as Northern Illinois head coach. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, Trenton Hankerson was really the only offensive option that the Huskies had last year. And he's one of the few returning players, you know, that was one of those teams that had a lot of turnover this year. Uh, so they're definitely their best returning player. And he, and he, you know, he played like it on, uh, on Tuesday night, whenever the Huskies got that victory, I'm also going to go uh, my second one, another one of these other big, uh, big upsets we had this week. You got Miami that you mentioned, you know, they go down to Georgia tech, Georgia tech, not as strong as they used to be uh, back in the early 2000s, still a really, really nice win, but you go down there, Makai Larry, uh, one of the three leading scorers for the Red Hawks last year, opened up his season going 23 points three rebounds there, three for nine from three-point land, had a couple really big shots there at the end of that game. And, and you know, Miami right now followed that uh, uh, that win up with last night. Miami hung 104 on Lamar uh, yesterday, which I know Lamar in their first year in the WAC this year, uh, not the strongest traditional program, but still, I mean, Miami, 104 points. They had 58 points in the first half of this game. They finished this game shooting 61% from the field. They were 17 for 32 from three in this game. So, the Red Hawks, uh, one of those kind of mid teams picked in the middle of the pack of the MAC this year. They're getting off to a nice start here, especially offensively. So we'll see if they're able to sustain that. Was there any team or any performance here, uh, Vanzi, that you know was a little bit underwhelming to you? That was a little bit disappointing. Any team that you were expecting a little bit more from that you didn't get it? Well, real quick on Miami, people forget how strong that program was under Charlie Coles, uh, yeah. their former coach. So, you know, if uh, if Coach Owens down there can get that program turned around back to where it is, you're seeing some positive signs. Um, Northern Illinois with their upset kind of mirroring the football team start to the season when they pulled off a big upset as well. We'll see if that plays over uh, into you know, Mac play later on, like we've seen in football, Northern Illinois did turn around and, you know, take a little bit of a drubbing uh, to Indiana at assembly hall down there, um, yeah. you know, which kind of took some off of that. But as far as a disappointment, it's, it's tough to say right now. Um, you know, I mean, Kent state's on one, but they played a pretty good team uh, and Xavier. Um, I got to go with Western Michigan though. And uh, they came out and they beat a division three school by less than 20 points at home. Um, you know, you'd like a little bit higher total there. It's hard to be disappointed with a win. But then the second game, they just look terrible against Michigan State. I know it's Michigan State. It's at Michigan State, you know, but they they did not look good. Um, B. Artist White didn't look great. He's an all-Mac performer. He rolled his ankle, a potential, you know, something to watch there. Um, Lamar Norman, the transfer uh, from Duquesne. He looks like their best player and not B. Artist White. But I think Western Michigan looked pretty bad and, uh, you know, definitely some cause for concern there in uh, year two of the Clayton Bates era. And I looked at their schedule, though, and they're going to they, they got a pretty easy schedule. Some, you know, NIA schools, you know, some D3 schools, you know, it's it's not the toughest schedule. So they may be able to kind of salvage this non-conference you know, schedule before it's too late. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I I caught a little bit of that game uh, in uh, at the Breslin Center on Friday night. And- 
Yeah, uh, Western, we were talking, you know, at the opening of the show about, you know, these teams looking like they belonged on the court with some of these, you know, uh, you know, high profile teams they're playing against. Western Michigan did not look like they belonged on that court on Friday night, unfortunately. And um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with you there. It's going to be, uh, it looks like it might be a long year in, uh, in Kalamazoo. My disappointing performance here, <clears throat> uh, it's actually something you touched on briefly there, Vansy, was, you know, Kent State going down to Xavier. I'm not saying that this is a disappointing performance because Xavier is a bad team or I expected Kent State to win this game or anything like that. But it is disappointing for me in the sense of Kent State, you're up, you're up at five at halftime in this game. And then you're at the 11 minute mark. You know, I was watching this game. I was flipping back and forth on Friday night. This is one of the games I was watching. At the 11 minute mark in this game, with 11 minutes left, Kent State had a 50 to 49 lead. And over the next eight minutes, Kent State only scored four points in this game. So they went they went from going uh, with you know with 11 minutes left, they're up 50 to 49. With three minutes left, they're down 68 to 54. They just went ice cold there in the second half. Did the flashes and it's a disappointing performance in the sense of it, it feels like it was a missed opportunity for Kent State here, where they could have got themselves a nice win. And uh, you know Xavier's a, a good program, a Big East school, you know tough place to play. And, uh, you know, Kent State, you know, they, there there's some encouraging signs yet there, you know, Sincere Carey, the uh, the Duquesne transfer, he had 18 points and four assists for the flashes. Uh, Giovanni Santiago, their three-point sharpshooter from last year, he was two of three from behind the arc. And, uh, you know, the only thing that I think concerns me a little bit for Kent State right now, they don't seem like they have a ton of depth. You know, Kent State scored 59 points in this game. Only seven points of those at 59 came from the bench. So it seems like the starters are going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting for the flashes this year. We'll see if they're able to uh, we'll see if they're able to uh, sustain that. Uh, also, Vanzi, before we move on to a preview in this week, I uh, wanted to get your general thoughts on on week one of, of the Stan Heath era. You know, you mentioned the uh, you know, go down to Assembly Hall Tuesday night, play well, give the Hoosiers all they can handle. Turn around, follow that up with a nice, exciting two double overtime victory at home against Illinois State the other day. What are your thoughts on uh, on the Eagles so far? Well, you know, I mean, you got to be excited if you're at Ypsilanti right now. I mean, to be one and one with your loss being to Indiana, the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, that game actually came down to the wire. A uh, couple things about EMU. I mean, Illinois State, that's a solid mid-major program typically yeah. um, with Dan Mueller, their head coach there. Um, you know, they're not what they were a couple of years ago, but still that's a solid victory. What I like seeing about EMU right now is, you know, game one against Indiana, it's Noah Farrakhan who goes off late in the game. Game two, you have Monty Scott, who actually I found out, I didn't know this before that broadcast is Farrakhan's half brother. I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. Inter wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So Monty Scott transferred in and then he kind of said, Hey, you know, like, I like it here, you know, told the coach, go get his half brother, Noah Farrakhan. So that's, you know, kind of a cool factoid. Um, so, you know, they, they have those multiple scores. And so if you stop one, if one has a bad night, the other steps up, picks it up. Uh, they probably need to get a little bit more out of the big men right now, but to be one and one, uh, that's very impressive. The other thing that I like is both games, I think in the first half, you know, it was a double digit lead for Indiana, double digit lead for Illinois State it really felt like both games you could change the channel right off Eastern Michigan and then in the second half they make some adjustments they come out and I tweeted this out but I've always heard that good coaching shows in the second half of basketball games when you get into halftime you make those adjustments 
in likewise bad coaching shows. So, you know, yeah. they, they went into the half, they made their adjustments. They came out in both games, they were in it and they get the win against Illinois state. This team doesn't look like it's going to be a bottom of the Mac finisher. Uh, I would say they're probably been out of the Michigan Mac schools, the probably the most impressive here early, a uh, long way to go, but you got to be optimistic about what we've seen so far. Yeah, I tell you what, I so I, I only saw some highlights of the game on uh, from, from Friday night against Illinois State. But I tell you what, though, I, I watch I watch these guards for Eastern Michigan. I mean, Monty Scott, that dude's a walking bucket. The guy can score. The guy can shoot. He can get to the rim. I mean, he, the guy, he's, I, I really like what I'm seeing from the Eagles. I did want to ask you, because, again, I didn't get to see the game. Uh, but even just, you know, seeing the highlights and looking at the box score here, is did, did Benelli get hurt against Indiana, or what, what, what's the deal there? Um, you know, I, I, we don't really know. Uh, he was in a, you know, like you could see him on the bench. He stayed in his warmups, kind of his sweat gear attire. Um, okay. I actually tweeted something out where I didn't see him in the lineup. Like I didn't see him get any minutes and he liked the tweet, you know? So, but, but he uh -huh. didn't say, you know, he didn't say, Hey, this is why I'm out or anything like that, but it definitely looked injury related. Um, somewhat of a concern because he missed the last year. Uh, you know, with some injuries and then uh, some, you know, COVID related immigration status problems uh, coming from Italy. So, you know, I mean, hopefully it's nothing major there. Um, you know, you could really use that shooting and you talk about, you know, Eastern Michigan being probably a big guy short of being a really, really good team. And, uh, you know, that could be your big guy, even though he doesn't really play like a big guy since he's more of that European stretch four type who uh you know is shooting threes but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on yeah interesting interesting stuff definitely something to monitor and uh you know east michigan uh you know obviously got a big game coming up this this coming weekend uh, going up to, to the breslin center hopefully he's, he's uh good to go for that one so let's uh that's a nice transition there van let's take a look we got some interesting matchups here this coming week um any games you have circled this week that are going to be appointment television for you uh, well, yeah, I kind of, you know, I looked at some, uh, you know, odd ones here. Uh, Norfolk State, they're three and zero. They're going to uh, the to uh, BGSU. Uh, they won a tournament game last year, so that's going to be, you know, if you can beat a team like a Norfolk State, that's going to help your RPI in the long run. Uh, you get them at home if you're Bowling Green, so that would be a big one. Um, Toledo at Oakland up there in the arena, the blacktop court up mm. there at uh, Oakland University, Rochester Hills, Michigan. Um, Oakland went on the road and beat Oklahoma State in a tough road environment. So, you know, that's going to be a, a good test. And then the other thing that jumped out at me is I was just kind of looking at Northern Illinois. I'm like, okay, they play Missouri, uh, you know, and I kind of looked at their schedule. Well, they, they started, you know, I mean, they started at Washington, then they went at Indiana. Now they're going to have at Missouri, and then they have Marquette in Dayton coming up later this season. That's a tough schedule. Yeah, that's a team where you're probably not going to really know much about them, kind of like a Kent State football this year, you know, that non conference could really beat them up and, and knock down their win loss record um, before conference play, but they could be a very solid conference team um, who comes in battle tested. It's a great, a great comparison there Vansy and yeah that is uh, quite a murderers row of, uh, of a non conference schedule there. You know, you, you mentioned these games against, you know, other mid-major teams, other mid-major conferences. <clears throat> a game that's interesting to me this week, I'll go right back to Ypsilanti, Van. Eastern Michigan travels down to northern Kentucky uh, on Thursday night, taking on the Norse. 
uh, Darren Horn, the coach there at, at Northern Kentucky, he's built them up into a respectable program. They've been to the, 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 the tournament a couple of times here in the last, uh, last handful of years. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, Eastern Michigan, uh, you know, responds after that, after that thrilling uh, two overtime win over Illinois state. I like, I like it when teams schedule these type of games, obviously you want to test yourself a little bit against some of the big boys, but I like scheduling their peers as well. And whenever I look at, um, you know, whenever I look at Eastern Michigan schedule, you know, you got, I like how they do it. You got Indiana and Michigan State and DePaul kind of mixed in there with some of these other quote unquote peer programs like Northern Kentucky and you know, Western Illinois in there. Uh, so I, I like how uh, Stan Heath approached the schedule this year. But, you know, also, you know, so you go Thursday, you go to Northern Kentucky for Eastern Michigan. Saturday, you go up to Breslin to take on Michigan State. That's an interesting one. Another one that's really interesting to me, you got Ohio. We talked about Ohio earlier starting off. You know, they, they've, they've played really well thus far. They travel down to Lexington on Friday night. They're going to take on John Calipari and the, and the Kentucky Wildcats. I'm really interested to see that one. I, I want to see how Mark Sears and, uh, and uh, that team uh, travel, you know, going down to Lexington. It's actually not that far of a trip. Athens to Lexington, you could probably make that trip in three hours. So I'll be curious to see if any Bobcats fans are going to uh, be that down, you know, travel down to the Bluegrass State to, uh, to to see what's going on there, see how their their team performs uh, on the hardwood. Anything else, Vanzi? Anything? Uh, any other thoughts before we uh, before we sign off here? Uh, not really. Kind of just one thing I wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, looked like a, you know like a good week for the MAC women's basketball. They uh, looks like a strong conference again. You yeah. know, uh, Bowling Green looked exceptionally tough. So. Um, you know, definitely keep an eye on, on those, uh, the women's hoops teams here in the conference, uh, you know, typically some good basketball there, um, probably a little bit better on the women's side nationally than the men's side. Um, so they definitely deserve their credit and their just due. Yeah, absolutely. A Akron and Toledo both starting off strong, uh, 2-0 at Top Mac, uh, the women's, uh, the women's, women's table there. Uh, Toledo knocking off Oakland on the road and then Wright State at home just last night in their home opener. So, yeah, you're right. I agree. You know, Toledo looks strong this year. Central Michigan always really strong. Uh, Bowling Green and, and Buffalo coming off really good years as well. So I agree with you. It's going to be a, an interesting year on, on both sides of the fence here in MAC basketball. And uh, we can't wait to continue to break it down for you folks. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in as always. That's going to wrap it up for not only the basketball preview here, but that's going to wrap it up for the show this week. Uh, for Vanzi, for Steve Helwick, I am Zach Follett. We're signing off here. Uh, thank you again for stopping by this week, folks. We we uh, we appreciate the support as always. Have a great week. We got MAC football this week. We got MAC basketball. It's really really starting to, to, to you know gear up here as we move into uh, into November. As always, again, folks, thank you for uh, tuning in this week. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next time.